0: Hello and welcome to the latest BICOM podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of BICOM. It's Thursday, the 20th of January, and I'm delighted to be joined again by the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, Fleur Hassan Nahum. Fleur, thank you very much indeed for joining me.
1: Hi Richard, thank you for inviting me.
0: So there's a range of Jerusalem related issues that I thought you would be the the ideal person to, uh, to ask and to kind of clarify some of these issues. I think we should start perhaps with the difficult scenes we've seen in, uh, in Sheikh Jarrah. Can you give us some background as to the uh, evictions and what's going on there?
1: Yes, absolutely, Richard. And it's uh, really been a tough week here. And ultimately, uh, what this is, and you know, as you know, in, in Jerusalem, everything has to be political, even a, an eviction uh, order where you would see in every normal city in the world, when somebody uh, builds an illegal structure on land that doesn't belong to them they would get an eviction order, and they would be evicted. And if the home was built without a permit, which in this case, of course, it was, then they would have a demolition order. This happens anywhere in the world. Imagine if in Hyde Park, you decided to build yourself a wooden uh, holiday cabin in the middle of Hyde Park, what would happen? Uh, Somebody, you know, the city would come and they would uh, get rid of you uh, of your cabin. And this is exactly what the situation is here. But but you know, in Jerusalem, nothing ever stays local. So what happened is, and I'll tell you the background of the story, is this land um, is owned by, uh, by a, a complicated, I would say, a complicated um, uh, ownership structure comprised of a few Palestinian families. Uh, none of them uh, we are the ones that got uh, evicted this week because those Palestinian families whose uh, land this belongs to, Uh, sold or um, were compensated um, for the repatriation of that land by the city of Jerusalem in order to build a school for special needs children and this this is the way that cities are planned and are run cities anywhere in the world have you know living spaces and then they have public spaces for buildings such as schools and kindergartens and community centers um, and synagogues or mosques um, and in Jerusalem, we call those brown zone areas. Um, the green uh, zoned areas, of course, are public parks. And so every every neighborhood needs brown areas and need green areas. Uh, Sheikh Jarrah, this was for decades now, um, zoned as a brown area, an area uh, for building public uh, buildings. And as a result, the families who own that land were compensated in the millions for the land that the city expropriated in order to build public buildings. In this case, since 2017, we have a plan for a special needs school, which in fact is much needed in East Jerusalem. The school is uh, exclusively for the Arab kids of East Jerusalem. And in 2017, we planned this school on this brown zoned land. And when we got there uh, to start doing the measuring, we we realized that there's there's a family squatting and have built a business for themselves as well in this land. Now, this family is not connected at all to the ownership of the land. So they're not only squatting from us, but they're also squatting from the Palestinian uh, owners, original owners. Or, or of this land. Um, and so in 2017, we started court proceedings in order to have them removed uh, from this area so that we could build our school. Um, and, uh, and the family knew that they had zero ownership documents. They knew that there were squatters. Their lawyers knew that there were squatters. And we went through a lot of effort to try and get them to sit down And agree with us a date in which they would leave, um, agree with us, uh, you know, we we would help them in the process of leaving. Um, We've since actually put them in touch with social workers of the city. We wanted to do this in the right way. It's never pleasant to kick anybody out of their house, but you know, when you willingly know that you're showing up somewhere, and in fact they didn't show up there until the 90s, it's a complete fallacy that Uh, You know, this family was one of the refugee families of the 1948 war. That's just, you know, completely uh, invented. Um, um, They knew from 2017 that their time was up, that their squatting was no longer going to be able to remain. And they did chose, they chose not to collaborate, not to cooperate and not to agree a date uh, in which they knew, they knew they were going to have to leave. And so they wanted to keep it like this till the end. And that's why you have these ugly scenes of having to kick out these people and close up their business in the middle of the night. It's certainly something the city never wanted to get to this, but we are simply um, implementing, uh, not just building and planning law, like any normal city would, but we are building a special needs school with six kindergartens and 18 classes for the very much needed uh, community of special needs families in, in East Jerusalem.
0: Thank you. We just, uh, I suppose, on a, on a personal of what will happen to the families um, of those evicted now?
1: Well, you know, like I said, we um, we tried to put the the welfare uh, department of City Hall uh, to speak to them, to try and help them. And unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of co- collaboration, cooperation on their side. Look, you have to understand that, of course, everybody, you know, the, there are a lot of, interested parties wanting to politicize this, um, you know, um, and and telling them don't don't cooperate with the very people that actually want to help them. Uh, not, not that they're being offered any help from anybody else, but they, they've certainly been, everything gets politicized and they've been told, uh, probably been told not to cooperate with us, but, you know, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is a city which is the most diverse city in the country. We have 39% Arabs. We have 25% ultra-Orthodox Jews. We have uh, 2% Christians. Uh, we have a community of uh, Ethiopians. We Yesterday, I went to a community center, visited refugees from Sudan and for Eritrea. We have every type of people here and we try and help everybody. And of course, our arms are always open to be able to help this family um, find a new home and uh, settle themselves back in. But they knew already from 2017, that uh, they would have to leave. And it's just a shame that it had to get to this. Uh,
0: for sure. I mean, what would you say to the kind of two uh, to diplomats in the international community um, that are well-meaning and that want to help? What should their, what should their role be?
1: Well, look, If they, I understand that it comes from a place of trying to help, um, uh, but unfortunately what we saw was, I think, embarrassing scenes of diplomats talking about um, international law being being, uh, being broken by, the, by, by, by Israel, by Jerusalem. And so the first thing I would say is please inform yourselves, you can't congregate all of the houses of Sheikh Jarrah into one issue, which is the issues that we saw in May. This is a completely different story. Um, and so to show up there and talk about human rights law violations um, you know, w- when they know nothing about the background and they don't understand that this is a simple building and planning, you know, would they have shown up uh, if if the Palestinian families who own the place would have been the ones to kick them out? I doubt it. And so, why kind of inflame a very uh, standard situation, which is evicting squatters? I mean, imagine if I showed up to uh, to, to the Hague and every time there's a squatter being uh, being kicked out of their house, I show up in protest and, and saying that this is a human rights violation. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. So what I would say is the first thing to do is ask questions first, research first, and then decide to show up to a protest. Otherwise, uh, it seemed to me, uh, you know, maybe good intentions were very ill-placed. Um, I just want to
0: change the subject slightly, but another kind of controversial issue, which has been on the, uh, in the news, certainly in the UK media, over the last couple of weeks, have been the allegations made by the, the patriarch of the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, could you yeah. tell us what uh, what's going on there?
1: I, I just, I, the truth is, 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 is I guess the, the patriarch's article is just the, the, the end of a, a series of barrage of attacks by church leaders, including the Archbishop of Canterbury against Israel um, and painting this very false and dangerous narrative that Israel, is somehow persecuting its Christians? I mean, first of all, it flies in the face of real numbers, and the numbers are that, in fact, the Christian community has grown in Israel in the last uh, in the last year. This is these are numbers that were researched by the Israel Democratic Institute. I don't think anybody can can accuse them of being political. Um, um, and and so in numbers. Uh, they are painting a false picture and also in spirit, they're painting a false picture. You know, when I see that, um, you know, in this past Christmas, I, I myself went to the Jaffa Gate on behalf of the municipality, we gave out Christmas trees to, uh, to all the Christian community in, uh, in the old city. We decorated the entire old city in uh, Christmas decorations and the new gate, which we refurbished a number of years ago, in order to give the businesses there, mainly Christian businesses, an opportunity to be able to compete in the tourist market. This was when we had some tourists. Um, and we had a Christmas market there for a week and a half. We even extended it because it was so popular amongst the Israelis. And so all we do is you know, support and nurture and help uh, the Christian community, both in the city and the country. Um, and then what you have is, these Christian leaders, you know, who instead of focusing on the places around the Middle East that are slaughtering, slaughtering Christians, killing them um, indiscriminately, with impunity. Um, and, we, uh, you know, uh, and they've to focus on the only democracy in the Middle East where we uh, not only encourage diversity, and only do, don't we, we sanctify freedom of worship, but we also actively help the Christian community. So then you realize that there must be something else involved. And so when I scratched the surface a little bit, and I, I wrote an article that's gonna hopefully be, be published uh, this weekend, um, when you scratch the surface a little bit, what you see is that this is actually part of a fundraising campaign uh, by the Greek Orthodox Church who've uh, had a very low uh, couple of years of income because of the lack of tourists in the city which of course we're all suffering from, um, they they decided to, you know, to use the age old uh, accusation of the Jew, scapegoating uh, the Jews uh, for somehow persecuting them, which is of course ridiculous. Um, but it's, it's, it's really terrible because it basically rolls back years of goodwill, hard work, of building bridges with the Christian communities after You know, after centuries of persecution from church leaders uh, on Jews, um, you know, and and all the bridges that we've built in order to kind of, uh, you know, uh, bring in a new era of collaboration, Christian and Jewish collaboration. And what they're doing is is basically libeling Israel uh, and libeling the Jewish people uh, for the sake of their own fundraising campaign. Um, And so that to me is deeply disappointing and dangerous. And uh, and I mean I don't know what to do with it. It's it's actually very very sad.
0: Mm. Um Yes, yeah, so that's very very sad to hear. You mentioned the building building of bridges. Um, I wonder just while we're talking about kind of the focus on 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 East Jerusalem, what else? Uh, what other projects the municipality is working on in the areas of kind of productivity and uh, and social services there?
1: Well, that's a great question because I really think. Um, we're in a new era of bridge building between East and West Jerusalem, between Arabs and Jews. And I and I actually think this is why these things come up, and this is why the Gaza conflict actually occurred, because when there's because, because you know, when the extremists see normalization going on, whether it, it's regional, like we see with the Abraham Accords, or it's um, or it's national, like we see with the first Arab party in the government, in the Knesset or local, like what you see that we're doing with East Jerusalem, you know, the radicals panic because it, they don't like to see normalization. This is something uh, which they fight against. And so also in Jerusalem, you know, in the last six years, there's a there's really a new spirit of collaboration between East and West. And what we have is unprecedented budgets coming from the Jerusalem um, ministry of uh, Uh, the the Government Ministry for Jerusalem Affairs and the city um, who are we're trying to close years of of social gaps. And, you know, I think everybody has to look in the mirror, including ourselves and say, yeah, there were many, many years that we did not include them, that we did not uh, give them the adequate resources. And that's why this social gaps, uh, you know, occurred. And what we're trying to do is close those social gaps. And, uh, you know, I I wasn't here 30 years ago, but I can take responsibility for the city, um, you know, today. And what I can tell you is that uh, we're pouring unprecedented budgets into infrastructural development, into quality employment, and into education. Uh, Education is, of course, building more classrooms. Uh, and building a special needs school, for example, which is what we're trying to do now uh, in this plot in Sheikh Jarrah. And the reason why we chose Sheikh Jarrah is because Sheikh Jarrah is a very central neighbourhood in East Jerusalem where everybody can can reach. And that's why we, we chose that neighbourhood. Um, but we're building many, many new schools, classrooms. Um, you know, I'm, I'm bringing in... Um, tech education into many, many classrooms in East Jerusalem um, through sponsors and through big high tech companies. Um, I'm particularly involved with the education with the um, quality employment piece. Um, and we've just uh, spent two years trying to raise funds uh, to build a building where we can house big high tech companies that want to employ Arab engineers. I'm very pleased to say we just got this, we just got the the, the commitment of funding from the government. Um, And so we're talking to the big guys, we're talking to Microsoft, Google, we're talking uh, to huge companies that will come and train and employ young Arab men and women engineers. We have a record number of Arab men and women in our colleges and universities in the city than ever before. Um, We have a record number of of young men and women from the Arab sector learning Hebrew, because they understand that this has been up until now a uh, you know a block to uh, joining mainstream society in Jerusalem and getting the good jobs. And so we're just finding out, and we are discovering where the where the block blockages are, and we're uh, unblocking <laughs> and pouring a lot of resources into creating equal opportunity for the new generation of young Arab men and women in the city. I see them as my constituents, as I see every Jew and every Christian in the city as well.
0: A change of tack, slightly. You are a member of the Likud Central Committee, um, and I was just thinking of taking the opportunity while we're speaking. What are your thoughts on kind of the the big news story from earlier this week of former Prime Minister Netanyahu and the potential plea bargain? How does that sit with you as a Likudnik?
1: Well, you know, I I, 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 this is something very personal. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu has been a great leader, and um, and he's seventy-two years old. So I, I don't blame him uh, for wanting to do a plea deal so that he doesn't spend, you know, his sort of the last <laughs> two decades or three decades or whatever God gives him of his life fighting a uh, a, a case. Um, it's a very personal thing. Um, and so I don't judge uh, him for doing the plea deal, um, if he does it or if he doesn't do it. I think it's a very personal thing and he has to reckon with himself and his family of, uh, of w- what he wants to be fighting for the next uh, decade of his life uh, at the age of 72. Um, I'll be sad to see him leave uh, from politics. I think he has been one of the giants of Israeli leaders um and uh, but 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 I I again this is a very personal choice and I will support whatever he decides to do
0: and uh, the big question I suppose is on the day after who would you back to be to be leader of your party
1: now Richard you put him in a corner um I look I think it's early days we don't know whether the plea deal is going to get done we don't know whether he's going to leave being the leader of the party or not we don't know anything right now so let's just all I know is that. In the Likud, there's definitely a young cadre of uh, potential leaders and, uh, and, and we'll see what, when, they, when they decide to show uh, and uh, we'll see what happens then, but I think it's still early days.
0: Fascinating. Well, we will perhaps revisit that with you. Before, before you go, just one last question. Um, another, another role that you are potentially vying for, you are one of the final candidates um, to be the head of the, uh, of the Jewish Agency. Um, For those of our listeners who aren't familiar, could you just tell us a little bit about what the Jewish Agency is, um, what the role is and what your vision is for that that position?
1: Sure. Um, So the Jewish Agency is basically the organization that brought forward the establishment of the State of Israel in the sense that it was the government of the State of Israel before the State of Israel was an official state. And so it is uh, the, the state builder of the, of the country. Once the country uh, was created, uh, the Jewish Agency um, was the, the organization that uh, brought all the immigrants to the state of Israel and resettled them here. Um, and for the last uh, almost two decades now, like decade and a half, um, it's turned its um, it's turned its activities to the Israel diaspora relationship and that strengthening of that, um, and so it, it is the I would say the largest, most important, most significant uh, Jewish organization in modern times. Um, and um, to head it would be an incredible privilege. Um, and my vision is really to. Um, strengthen, uh, to continue to strengthen the Israel diaspora relationships, uh, focusing on the younger generations and focusing on the mediums in which they are, uh, which they find themselves, um, and focusing really on the ties that bind us um, and in ways that we can strengthen those ties. I think also in this day and age, when we look at immigration, we have to think about strategic immigration. Israel um, is, is a modern economy now. And as a modern economy, we have, we have lots of different human resource needs. And I think that looking at immigration as an opportunity also to bring talent to the country is a kind of a new, a new way to look at things that I'd like to bring forward. And of course, making sure that when immigrants actually get to Israel, that they have the best opportunities uh, for absorption. So there's a lot to talk about. I think that would be its own podcast. But for the moment, I'll just uh, focus on those main headlines and hope for the best.
0: Very good. Well, perhaps, yes, we will look forward to revisiting this with you. Fleur, thank you very much indeed for discussing this with us today.
1: Thank you, Richard.